We're in. Okay. Okay, mazel brachet slacha, everybody. Mazel brachet slacha. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Welcome to Beyond the Book Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wogelenter. Each week, I invite you to take a journey with me to take a look at what happens beyond a range of books and what inspires some of today's great Jewish authors. If you're an author, or if you know an awesome author who would like to come on the show, please reach out to me at info at intentionaljew.com. Speaking about Intentional Jew, this podcast is sponsored by Intentional Jew Podcast Network, the greatest Jewish podcast network creating great Jewish content. We're always updating and adding new content, new shows, so check it out at intentionaljew.com. Today, I want to welcome on an awesome guest, Rib Roy Neuberger, and his wife and editor, Mrs. Leah Neuberger. We're going to talk about Rib Roy's newest book, Hold On, which is about Chavle Mashiach and the fact that Mashiach is coming. This is really on Rebbe Yisrael's, Rib Roy Neuberger's mind, and the five books that they've written together, the mission that they're on, and how, at meeting at age, I think 16, they took their entire life journey together. We talk about how their books got published, each one with a different publisher, and why the newest book, Hold On, had a hard time getting published until Mosaic Press came along. For those of you who know them already, this should be a refreshing conversation that I had with them. We really talk about um, things I've never heard before that they go into. And for those of you who don't know them, then this is a great way to learn and to understand and get to know more about them. Please feel free to find them on their website at 2020vision.co.il. And if you're interested in purchasing the books, you can go and support our show. Down in the show notes, you can find links to all the books and please purchase and please uh, help us grow. So without further ado, the most awesome couple and the most awesome authors, the Newburgers. Fascinating. Okay, so welcome to, this is called Beyond the Book, Beyond the Book podcast. And the book means something more because we've now connected to this person as a person. So that's, uh, that's the idea here of the podcast, Beyond the Book. Can you tell us a little bit um, just about, you know, without going too deep into it, but just tell us where, where, you're, where you're from and how that brought you here? Where, where are you today and what are you doing? So where did you come from and where are you going? So I'll start off, if it's okay. I, th- I think I know this story fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out, right? <laughs> so where did we come from? We came from a different world, really, which is the subject. I, I, I have now had um, my fifth book was published about a year ago by Mosaica Press. The first book, which is called From Central Park to Sinai, How I Found My Jewish Soul, is the autobiography. And it, it tells the um, fascinating, I say that, I mean, advisedly, it is a fascinating story. It's a story we've literally told probably a thousand times without exaggeration. And it's a story that I, I think for us and for... I, I, I th- I, I think for the listeners, it, it never gets old. It's it's a, stor- a story that began in um, New York City, and it was a, really a different world. The world I grew up in was a kind of um, almost Victorian world in many ways. Um, it was a privileged world. I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, <clears throat> which is... Uh, about a hundred light years from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and um, it was a world of assimilated German, Jew, affluent assimilated German Jews, world of Fifth Avenue, Park Avenue, and um, we grew up in a family that had really, when you talk about American assimilation this was it we celebrated all the american holidays december 25th was the biggest day of the year for us we didn't know 
what Rosh Hashanah was. We didn't know what Yom Kippur was. We didn't know what Pesach was. We didn't even know what Hanukkah was. We had a tree in our house on December 25th. We had stockings on the, I mean, Santa Claus. I mean, really, it was, and that was the world that we grew up in. I want to tell you that amazing parents, but assimilation is powerful. And that's the catastrophe of what happened in America. My mother's maiden name was Salant. My grandfather told me when I was a little boy, we, ca- we came from a famous rabbi named Israel Salanter. And I, of course, was not interested in asking any further questions at the time, which I regret very much to this day, but I didn't. <clears throat> and my father's mother's name was Rothschild. And that tells you in a nutshell a lot about our family because my mother was a salanter without knowing what it meant and my father was a Rothschild. And my... my, That's that's the S. That S is Salant. My name is Roy S. Roy Salant Newberger. Or Yisrael. And 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 then it would be Yisrael Salant. Yisrael. Yisrael Salanter, right. (laughs) Uh, Yisrael, that's why I was named Yisrael. 31 years later, I got a Hebrew name. So it took 31 years till I had a bris in Eretz Yisrael. That's <laughs> toward the end of the story. So well, I grew, I grew it's not up. It's the end, it's the beginning in a lot of ways. That's right, it <laughs> so. is the beginning. We can start from anywhere. Yeah, we can start from anywhere and go in any, any direction. Anyway, so what I'm saying is, I grew up in this privileged home, in many ways a beautiful home. Um, Very fine parents, very straight, honest, ehrlich people, and we did not know one thing about Yiddishkeit. So ostensibly, you know, this should be the American dream, paradise. But for me, from childhood... It was the American nightmare, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I, I did not have a moment's peace. I, 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 I obviously inherited my mother's salanter neshama, and I couldn't stand it. I, I just, I, I, I always, it's amazing. What I do you c- think the neshama is? What do you think the, the mida of the salanters is in you? Um, I... I was allergic to the absence of Hashem. I was allergic to the absence of Hashem. I didn't know who Hashem was. I didn't know I didn't know what the word Torah was. I didn't know there's a word called Torah. But I always say it's amazing. When I was a little kid, maybe, and this is really little, and I thought there's something wrong with me. I mean, intrinsically wrong with me. And I went through every derech I could think of to get out of it. I knew something was just terribly wrong. I felt when I was a little kid that there was no reason to be afraid. I was afraid every second. And I felt there's something inside me which is like thwarting everything I want to do. And it, it, it controls me. I'm not able to control myself. I, I, some, I, I'm like the victim of something. Right now, I say it has a name. It's called the Yetzirah. But then, I never heard of the Yetzirah. But I always say, you think the Yetzirah is, is, is a theory? When I was a kid and I never heard this word in my life, I saw the Yetzirah in front of me. And it was like I was a slave. I felt like an emotional slave. And sometimes I felt as if I was just losing my sanity i'm not exaggerating and i you know my wife keeps having to tell me ad hayom hazet till this very day that i'm not i'm normal <laughs> yes i'm not exaggerating it's true i because you know you it doesn't go away so fast you're so not just, you're not crazy you're just intense see that I, but this, this, <laughs> now I see why helps. you bring her. <laughs> Are you kidding? 
Give us a bracha. We should stick together. Ad Mashiach and beyond. Anyway, Bezus Hashem. Bezus Hashem. And all of us together oh, should man. see it. With Kayach and Gesund. We should see Mashiach's just around the corner. It's got to be. I read this book by Roy Newberger. It says so. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, that's how it started. And I started to look. And I looked, and the last thing I wanted to do was be Jewish. I mean, you're so embarrassed because that's how we were embarrassed. Oh, Jews. Yeah. And then, it, 31 years later, after going through everything you can imagine, every lifestyle you can imagine, and some you can't, um, I never got into drugs, by the way, Baruch Hashem. I just. Knew you, this is you got to stay away from it, Baruch Hashem. But I, 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 okay, I'm not going to go into too much detail because this could last itself for three hours, literally. But by the age of 31, we, we met in high school. I was 16, my wife was 15. We everything is a story, I, 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 everything is a three hour story, but you don't have like three. <laughs> We may be able to do a little. Anyway, so so we then, at, at the age of 15 or 16, the journey was together, but we're still looking. And, and, and then by the age of about 30, we went through, like, there's nothing left, literally, we didn't do. We exhausted every derech. And that, at that exact moment, not a joke, we met Rebbitz and Esther Young-Rice in... Newburgh, New York. I say Hashem timed it to the millisecond because at that moment we had gone through every single thing there was and either we're going to have like the bottom's going to open up and we're going to get swallowed up in the Hasashalom, in the abyss or something's going to come. And at that moment we met Rebbitz and Young Rice and we heard her speak and all of a sudden the whole world of Torah opened up in front of us, and our entire life changed. So I just want to say that both we both felt the same way, that there's something missing, that there must be a higher meaning and purpose in life. There has to be more than materialism. Materialism, you're never satisfied. You get this thing and the next thing, and, and you still want the thing after that. And we knew there had to be a higher meaning and purpose, and that's why we looked into all these ways of life that we thought might give us meaning, working for different causes, and... Uh, and uh, like uh, the peace movement during the Vietnam War, or, or conservation to keep the world pure and, and clean, and and uh, uh, civil rights movement, all these different things. We were very idealistic, and we, but we never ever met anyone who believed in God. We had mostly Jewish friends, and those are the circles we grew up in. So we we never we never heard of a Shomer Shabbos Jew. We didn't know what that was until finally after studying. And studying and looking for for years, we we in college studied Hinduism, Judy, uh, Hinduism, Christianity, Buddhism, looking for the truth. And and thank God, our our Jewish souls, our neshamas, told us, no, that's not it, that's not it. And finally, since nothing else seemed right, we looked into our our background, our Judaism, and that's when we heard Rebbe and Esther Young speak, and we were both so moved that night. See. Uh- it's interesting. We took this journey together, but I have a different approach from my wife. We're different people. Opposites attract, and for some reason, she seems to find an attraction in me. I, I don't know why. <laughs> Try to Baruch Hashem. But but you're very wife, very interesting. Could be. But she's still saying that. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. So my wife says we knew there had to be a higher meaning and purpose in life. And that's true, and that was because my wife is a normal person, <laughs> and that's what motivated her. For me, it was emotional survival. I, I didn't ha- have any th- theories so much. I needed to survive. I needed some, I was like free falling through space emotionally. I needed something to, gra- I needed a life preserver, and I needed Hashem even though I denied that for decades, but that's the difference in our approach. But we, Baruch Hashem, 
the story is... That we always felt the same way all along the way in our search, looking and looking and casting this off and that off. It's not it. It's not it. And then when, when we, we finally um, heard about Torah and that, that Rebetzin Yungrei said all our, our souls were at Harsinai when God gave us the Torah and we taught the world there's a God and that there's, and we taught morality to the world and, and that we have a way of life, a Torah to study and live by day and night. We were both crying and we both felt the same way. And all along the way, thank God, we felt the same way and we followed the path together. They can't take that for granted. And granted, and with a married couple, you know, one could say yes and the other could say no, and then it's big trouble. We've seen it. Right. I, I wanted to mention this sort of off the, the path of the direction of where you were headed, but we'll get back to that. I think that when, you know, uh, Robertson Newberger, Mrs. Newberger, <laughs> however you like to be called, but Mrs. When, when Mrs. Newberger offered, she said, oh, a podcast, I, like maybe maybe I should come. I remembered when you guys were here in, in our, you know, in our shul, and I just remember that um, seeing you do this together and seeing that um, you you started the journey together, you continued the journey together, you raised family together, and you've done all this together, and you're still together, you're still going on podcasts together. That's an amazing <laughs> thing. But I think that um, in terms of, of relationship goals as well, when we see you, we see that it's possible to be, uh, and I think it's important to say this, but it's possible to be crazy about each other and just crazy and, and even even after all these these journeys and what you're saying, Thank God. even early on, it, it sometimes sure. doesn't happen, but... We've been married fifty-eight years, Leon Hara, and and it's with Torah. Everything is always exciting and interesting and wonderful, and and reaching out to other people it keeps it fresh and and Baruch uh, Hashem. it's a it's a it's an important thing. Maybe if you have a um, a message or a lesson or something that you've that you've taken, just it's a it's an important. Uh, I think it's an important avenue, important avenue to explore. Rebison Young Rice always used to say, it's not, you know, that a couple should be looking at each other's eyes, you know, with these bells ringing and everything. They should both be looking in the same direction. Have a goal in life and accomplish together this goal and find out your unique path to achieve what Hashem put you in this world together to do. And, you, and, and if you can do it together, that's really the way it's supposed to be. And I want you to know, when we go to speak on especially college campuses, the kids are like, wow, like they don't even know that, the, you know, like we never saw a husband and wife who talked to each other before. They you know? really like each other. Not and, a joke. And, and, and they write in their journals, you know, we want to have a marriage like that. I mean, Blee Einhara, but, but, you know... It's inspiring. It's funny because it might not even be the main the main message right. of what you're trying to do. But what right. a powerful message! I feel like in in Jewish outreach, that's such an important thing when you bring them to your home. Yes, you're, you know, oh. you get to say your oh. part and you get to show them that God is true. But you you also get to show them how you treat your kids. Shalom bias oh. and how you treat the your example. Wife. It's the living example. Yeah, Shalom bias is, is has a huge effect on people. And so we've had we've had literally thousands of people in our home for Shabbos and. And, and living with us. We have people living with us for years. Rebbets and Young Rice put people with us that some of whom lived, one guy lived with us for five years, one, two years. And, and they were part, just part of your family? Yeah. yeah. and Young Rice said that, that Torah is like, for example, you sit down for the most delicious steak dinner, you eat it by yourself, it tastes good. But if you share it with others, it's so much more delicious. And she told us we have to we have to declare the miracle. It's a kiddush Hashem. We have to share the miracle uh, with others, and and uh, so that's why we started writing right away. We had we published under her column in the Jewish Press for six weeks. Uh, my husband wrote an article. I'm the editor, by the way, of everything my husband writes: his articles, his books, and uh, as you know, and then and then of course through the books. This is, it gives people hope, you know, no matter where you start from, you know, it's never too late. We totally changed our lives at the ages of 30 and 31 after having uh, two children, being married 11 years. We completely changed our lives from zero, not even Rosh Hashanah of Kippur, to Shomer Shabbos and having a beautiful Torah life. It's never too late for anyone to make an important change in life. Just, did you find that you had to keep on um, continuously reassessing your goals together? Was you said that it's about having a common goal, but did those goals change at any time and you had to reassess and come back together or it was the goal was we there? We always, somehow we, we always uh, were on the same page, on the same 
uh, you know, we, we felt the same way about everything. This is such a bracha. It's, it's uh, really amazing. I think that's, that's such an important thing. And just, I know in, I'm, a, I'm still a young man. I could still become from. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I um I just see that it's the it it's it's difficult to make big changes once you're you know you have a family yeah, you have established. a wife you've established your routine you've established your habits and now just to change sure. all of that and mm. uh, to be able to to be a, a symbol of that that you can do that that can be and our daughters I just want to say our daughters are five and three when we totally changed our lives we moved from upstate New York to to Reveson Rabbi Reveson Young Rice's community to learn how to live a Jewish life and so it was early enough that they could. Right away, uh, start in uh, Besyakov and have a Jewish education. By the way, the three-year-old became Rebetzin Yongrais's daughter-in-law. Our daughter's married to Rebetzin Yongrais's son. And that's a nice thing for people, a very encouraging thing for people, too. When people are Balei Tshuva, they think they can never be accepted in the from-from-birth world. But that's also very, you know, possible and, and happens in many cases. It's you, you change your life in a good way. Hashem helps you go and better and better and better direction i, I want to tell you also our children participated in our um lifestyle very much in other words <clears throat> when we had guests for shabbos it's a beautiful thing they gave up their bedrooms they they taught them to to wash their hands to say shema they would sit next to them in shul and show them the, you know, how to daven, and 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 um, it's so it's a beautiful chinuch for the children, and it's also a beautiful thing for the guests. Sometimes they would might feel awkward, but when a little kid, you know, says teaches you how to pray. So, you know, you don't. It's, it's, there's no embarrassment. Exactly. It's natural, and and people. So people loved coming to our home. They loved it, and you didn't have to say anything. It just was, as you said, it 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 it, it just seeps in, and uh, people, people who didn't know there are many people. There's a guy in Yerushalayim now who has a beard down to his, you know, tummy. <laughs> he came to our house for Shabbos. He didn't know what tzitzis were. He, didn't, he, he expected to come Friday night. Just for, for dinner. For dinner and go <laughs> home. And today, I, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But the kids made everybody feel at home. And, and then they became natural care of people and have your children continue and they and they have guests in their home for shabbos they're all married thank god we even and and you felt that you were able to do this even living in a uh, highly religious neighborhood of in in well we lived we lived in in uh, north woodmere which um it was there were a lot of people who were you know more toward conservative um, highly religious. The guests meaning. were from Hanini. Right, right. No, but we had we had a lot of guests from, from okay, the community. Okay, but the, also, main, the main thing was yeah. when when the, when we would go to Rabbits and Young Rice's programs in Manhattan. We went every week. Every to our classes week, for sometimes many years. twice a week, and my wife would get up at the end of the program, and in, you know there'd be a thousand people there, and she would get up. And this is when Rabbi Thiongrace had the biggest Torah class in the world at that time. There were 1,000, 1,200 people at KJ in, in Manhattan. She would get up at the end of the class and invite people for Shabbos. First of all, people were shocked, like, what? She I'm doesn't even know them. what she's talking to. I've never to. met them. How come, what are, she's inviting me for Shabbos. <laughs> what? She might. And, and, and she was inviting to your house? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for Shabbos. No, no, sleepover. my wife was invited. Oh. I was I was inviting. She herself. I would get up at the end of the Robertson Yarmouth's class, and then I'd say, if anyone would like to come for Shabbos, please come see us. And people just fainted. I mean, they couldn't believe it. And we had, of course, and we had did. hundreds and hundreds of people that way for Shabbos. And they, so many people, Baruch Hashem, changed it's their a, lives. It's about the breaking the barriers. They don't, they, we can't believe that somebody would just have us in our home. Yeah. In their home. Shock. You know, people were shocked. trust me? Of course we trust you. You're my, you're my brother. You're my friend. Right. right. People when said to us, aren't you family. afraid to have that person in your house? And, you know, it's like, no, exactly the opposite. It, you know, having them in the house just 
elevated the whole. You, you felt you had protection. You know, Sholem Aleichem, Malach El Sholem. The the Malachim were there. The angels are there. What are you worried about? No, nothing to worry about. The Shabbos angels are there. Everything is fine. Uh, Rebbe Young Rice told us, as I said, to declare the miracle. We have to write, and she also. Also, we started speaking, especially when the first book came out, Central Park to Sinai, the end of the year 2000. Torah Masora sent us on a speaking tour, and that's how our speaking started. We both would speak and tell our story. But then, uh, as all the other books came out, my husband's the author of five books, um, we uh, you know, would, would speak about all these different books um, as well. The, should I tell you now what the books are? Yeah, let's get right. Let's get right into. It. I would love to understand like more the books and the process. Uh, Nuriga said that there was okay. every book has its own story. story so well, we don't. Bring, we didn't actually bring all the we books, but there are five. But um, yeah, Central Park. Let me just say, take Central Park first. Uh, from Central Park to Sinai, how I found my Jewish soul is our personal story and stories about Rebbitz and Young Rice and her family. Um, some stories that were really not published anywhere else uh, about her background and her family. We. Until Rabbi Seltzer wrote his book on her, nobody knew these stories about her family. Some, well, a few, some of them were in her books, but anyway, there's stories in here that weren't not anywhere else. And uh, so that that's the first book. And the second book, I don't think you brought. Uh, I don't. Storm. I, could, I have second a business book is, card. I could hold. It on doesn't by. matter. <laughs> that's okay. The second book is called World Storm: Finding Meaning and Direction Amidst Today's World Crisis. It's looking into the Torah to understand the spiritual history of the world. How's that for a topic? A big one, right? Um, my husband has original insights and, and theories that he, he divides the world history into a thousand-year periods and and uh, compares each thousand years to one day of creation. But anyway, so it's a very stuff. interesting book. If you like to think, it's great. It's a real thinking book. And then the third book is a novel called 2020 Vision, and it takes place in the year 2020. It's based on Yecheskel and Navi, on uh, the Malbim on Yecheskel and Navi. And it's a terror attack on the U.S. bigger than 9-11, a group of Jews trying to survive and find their way to Israel. A very exciting story and full of Torah thoughts and inspiring uh, Torah ideas. And ends with and, Mashiach. And, uh, My wife always gets angry by, at me, but we've got to... Don't tell, don't, don't, uh, don't spoil the end. Everybody knows everything and I mean... <laughs> Sure, but but, but it's uh, realistic. It's it's realistic. It's not a comic book. We, the way the way my husband writes books is that he gets up at four o'clock in the morning and he writes till seven thirty when he goes to shul, and then he puts it on my desk. And as I'm, as the first editor, I, I mark it up and make comments and give it back to him every day for about a year, and then uh, and then the process starts over again when when he has the. the uh, a publisher, and then and then there's all the proofreading and checking, and we're always working together. So we had been working together on 2020 Vision, trying to think of a title. It was so hard. We thought of this and that, and nothing was good, nothing good, nothing good. And then one morning I woke up, and Hashem just gave it to me. He said, I said to my husband, the book is going to be called 2020 Vision. It takes place in the year 2020. And uh, that was it. You know, it it's, has so many meanings because vision as in Navuah, prophecy, and um, 2020 vision is perfect, clear vision, and of course the year 2020. So, Baruch Hashem, that, that worked out well. And then the fourth book is a selected articles. My husband wrote every week for the Ted Naman newspaper and uh, a column, and each one was connected to that week's Parsha. Or, or the Yantif, and and uh, so our daughter selected from, he wrote for them for like 12, 13 years. She selected the best from each year and put it together as called Working Toward Mashiach. It's the selected articles from, from that. And then, ta-da, the new book <laughs> called Hold On, Surviving the Days Before Mashiach is, is uh, based on a quotation from the Chafetz Chaim that there's going to be a, a hevel, a rope stretched across the world, and it's in the, days shake, before Mashiach. in the days before Mashiach, and Hashem will it will shake it will shake violently, and those who hold on hold on tight to Hashem, uh, to the rope, uh, will survive. And that's why it's and, called uh, that's why it's, Mashiach, and that's why it's a the rope. birth pangs um, of Mashiach. And this is published by Mosaic Press, 
Each book is published by a different publisher. So it's also it's also in Ivrit. Uh, some of the books are in Hebrew, and there are many of the some of the books are translated into other languages, also like French and Spanish. Um, yeah, so that's and Russian. <laughs> so that's in a nutshell what the books are. That's fascinating. And then. Well, so just to break down that for a second, why why do you write in the morning? Why is the morning the best time? The morning, the morning is my best time. I I I I get tired at night. I I wake up in the morning very early. That nothing's going on. The phone is not ringing. I I I. Your mind is clear. I get a cup of coffee. I sit down. And I start writing, and you know, your mind is fresh and clear, and 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 that's when things just flow the best. I, I just love it. I to this day, I I I do it. That's when I do all my writing. I can sometimes edit later in the day, but I really, in general, cannot write later than in the day. If you're a morning person, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are the right, opposite; and they right, work at night. Right. Right. <laughs> If I, uh, well, he writes in the morning, then you edit at night. That's right. It's not a joke. <laughs> that is right. But it, it's just a beautiful time of, of day for me. And um, I feel very fresh and unburdened. By the end of the day, you could have uh, so many thoughts going through my mind. Oh, I didn't take care of that. I have to make this phone call. I have to come uh, this. In the morning, the slate is... I, I find I feel the same way. My mornings are always better for me. And morning, the morning half of the day, I guess. Um, and I feel also that th when you understand like that, we compare um, Lila right nighttime to bleak times in, in Jewish history and to sure and to the and to the Gullah. So it's it's almost just the natural you, after a sure. full day and after so much time you get to night and right. night is stress and a whole day right and there's. Bedtime, right? You know, there's a lot of. Uh, That's when David Hamelech was up writing Tilim, right? In the middle of and the night. And learning, learning Torah. He was up during the night. He awoke the dawn. That's what so, it says about David Hamelech. Right, well, Aboka Rina. In the morning, you wait. It's I, I find that for myself is that you can go to sleep at night sad. Aboka Rina. Hundred percent. Fire of Yalan Bachi, you go to sleep. So, what was the what's the story with? Um, the publishing of this book, of the newest book. Okay, Hold so, on. so I'm, I have no secrets in this world, meaning I'm not embarrassed to say all the, the bumps in. I mean, my whole life is bumps and unbumps. And <laughs> Everyone has bumps in life. <laughs> but you know, it's a. I think it's a kiddush Hashem to talk about it, and that Hashem, you know, helps you. When you hit a bump, because who does not hit a bump? And many bumps. And so the latest book, Hold On, Surviving the Days Before Mashiach, is um, I like to be very emistic, truthful. And I think that a lot of times, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to tell the truth. This is a book about what I really think is happening in the world. And, and, and a lot of the things I say in Hold On are things that people, it's a little tough for people to, I'll give you an example later, Bezos Hashem, a little tough for people to hear. Um, and um, as a result of this, um, various publishers were reluctant to publish this book because they thought people are not going to buy it because it's a little bit of a, it's a very straight book. And sometimes people don't like straight. So I was turned down, I'm not going to go into details, by four publishers, which is also not the first time this happened to me. The, my most popular books were all turned down many times. Central Park to Sinai, which was, I'm, I'm just saying it, it just happens to be the truth, it was the number one Jewish bestseller for about you know, four or five months during the spring of, 19, of 
2001, it took me a year to find a publisher. I was turned down left, right, up, down. You can't imagine. And one one so-called expert told me, basically, this is a piece of garbage. Start all over again. And... And and finally, I give credit to the Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Chil Per, Rosh Hashiva, Yeshiva Farakway. He told me, go to Jonathan David Publishers. Who? Jonathan David Publishers. Who are they? Look them up in the phone book and just go there. They'll publish it. And they did. And it was, this is really a fabulous, beautiful story. I could tell in it itself, maybe I will if we have time, <clears throat> but it's amazing. The same thing happened with 2020 Vision, which was also very difficult to get published. But hold on. That was fell time. Every book's a different oh. publisher. <laughs> Five different publishers. So, And did, uh, you ever, did you ever feel like you wanted to change your content to be able to uh, fit the publisher? Or you were no, no never way. going to? No, no. I'm, this is it. I write the book, and you know, Hashem should help me. I'm going to get it published somehow. And I, Baruch Hashem, it always happened. So I was, you know, kind of at the end of my rope. Speaking about ropes, um, um, with, with hold on, and I, I happened to go to see someone whom we know, a very famous, uh, beloved Rabbi, Rabbi Eitan Feiner, in 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 Far Rockaway. We were very close with his grandparents in Seattle, Washington, Joe and Adina Rusick, amazing people. And, and, and um, Rabbi Feiner said, go to Mosaic Press. And the same thing happened, like, who? Mosaic Press. And, and Mosaic Press um, published the book. Uh, uh, they're wonderful people. They're really basically located in, it's a te- technically an American firm but um publisher but they're really all the people are in Ramat Beit Shemesh in Israel uh, you know I'm going to tell you quickly the amazing story of how I found out they were going to publish it so this is just typical of what kind of thing happened um <clears throat> about two years ago at this time of year our daughter whose name is Yaffa Rebetzin Yaffa Young Rice wanted to go to various Kvarim to graves of young rice family tzaddikim in Europe, and she was, she had a f- like one day, and she was going to go by herself to Europe, and we told her, Yafa, you're not going alone. We're going with you. Oh, okay, Abenim. So we all she got on happy. a plane, Austrian <laughs> Airlines. We flew to Vienna. This was two years ago, <clears throat> flew to Vienna. We were met by a car. We hired a religious guy to, who specializes in driving to different quorum, to different tzaddi, graves of tzaddikim, holy people. And we just left, nine o'clock we landed and was straight out. We it was all mapped out? or Yeah, we had a whole route. And the second uh, place we stopped was in Pressburg, not really a young rice family um, a member, but it was the Hassam Sofer. And I, I, I don't know if your listeners, viewers have been there. This is an amazing, amazing place because the, the Nazis, Yamak Shemam, wanted to pave over, bulldoze the whole cemetery. And I believe it was Rav Weissmandel Zatzal who bribed the, the, the Nazis to... to, to, um, to um, save the gravesite of the Hassam Sofer. And it's what they did is they actually sort of did pave it over, but they put a street over the grave. It's in really basically a cave under the street. You can hear the trolley cars going over on top. So this I picture the trolley cars going and the and the grave is under the street now, but you can go. It's it's still there. We davened by the grave of the Chassam Sofer, by the Kever, and then we left, and we went on to the next tzaddik. Fifteen minutes after we left the Chassam Sofer, we're in the car, 
in you know Slovakia somewhere in Eastern Europe, and I get an email on my phone from Rabbi Daron Kornbluth at Mosaic Press, dear Mister Newberger. Um, um, Maybe he made the common mistake of saying Rabbi Newberger. I don't know, but whatever. Dear Mr. Newberger, we think your book is very important, and we want to publish it. That's, this was 15 minutes after leaving the Hassam Sofer. The driver of the car, I was started yelling, you know, I was very happy. And the driver of the car, like, he couldn't believe it. He was just like, Whoa, the brachas already began for the Chassam Sofer. He couldn't believe it. It's amazing. Whoa, amazing, amazing. So that's how we found out that Mosaic Press decided to publish this book. And look at the, they, they designed such a beautiful cover. This is the the rope that the Chafetz Chaim, was Tochevle Mashiach, the rope that we have to hang, hang on to in the days of the coming of Mashiach, because we've got to hang on to the Torah to survive. So that's how we found out that Mosaic Press was going to publish Hold On. That's fascinating. That's amazing. Also, they took the... And did they... Did, do you think they got um, pushback for for um, publishing it and for your... No, they're courageous people. They're people of... of, 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 of um, um, they are courageous in the sense that they publish what they believe in, and it doesn't have to be so much with regard to how many copies is it going to sell or people are going to buy it. They, <clears throat> they do what they think is right, and um, it's a beautiful, courageous thing. What were, what were things in the book that you felt or that publishers thought that maybe wouldn't be uh... okay so I think this is a good opportunity to talk about this a little and this is what I really meant by tough things I, I, I think that I have a um, very strong feeling about what's going on in the world at this time <clears throat> and I don't think I, I'm sure it's accurate I really believe it's accurate and I can bring certain, what I believe are proofs, um, and um, they're not easy to hear. I'm going to start, we just finished Pesach. We're talking, I don't know when this broadcast will be um, released. Soon. Soon. But we're in Sphera right now, we just finished Pesach. And this is relevant, I'm not digressing but I think it's important. Why is Pesach? First of all, Pesach is the first holiday in the cycle of Yom Em Tovim. Pesach is mentioned, the Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the Exodus is mentioned every day in our tefillahs, constantly throughout the Torah. Why does the Torah, why does the Torah mention Pesach constantly, Shema, every day, twice a day, we say, we refer to Yetzias Mitzrayim, Hashem took us out of Egypt. Because this is the prototype Gullus exile. The Chafetz Chaim said that we can learn about the details of the Gullus Shalem of the final redemption by studying what happened at the end of our exile in Egypt. So what happened in Mitzrayim is the prototype for the events which are going to, are going to take place before, when, Mashiach. before Mashiach. And, the, the, you know, we have a saying that Masi Avo Sim and Labanim, what happened to our forefathers is a sign for the children. The whole Torah is telling us not just the past, present, but the future, everything. So what happened in Mitzrayim? Basically, this is the story that the way I want to bring it out, <clears throat> Mitzrayim was the premier culture in the world at that time, the strongest. <clears throat> the, the, it was the, the, the chief thank you <laughs> the chief culture 
Yes, I could use some. That's beautiful. Uh, in the world, nobody could get out. We were slaves in Egypt, and Egypt collapsed. Egypt collapsed. Thank you. <clears throat> How do you know I like bubbles? Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't? Seltzer is a very Jewish drink because Jews are always bubbling upward, you know. Oh. So, so that's, you know, I think there's a reason. It's like the fire. <laughs> that's it. So Egypt was destroyed. I poured you some. This invincible, quote unquote, invincible culture was destroyed. Why was it destroyed? Because we, the Jewish people, were enslaved in this culture, not just physically, but culturally. We, 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 we had the gullest mentality. We got wrapped up in this idolatry, this alien witchcraft of Egypt, and we were basically unable to get out. We reached the 49th level of impurity of Tuma, Memtesh Shari Tuma, and we were basically unable to get out. But we had to get out because we were created to accept the Torah. <clears throat> and we couldn't have accepted the Torah if we were imprisoned in Egypt and if we were imprisoned in the Egyptian mentality. So Mitzrayim had to be destroyed in order for the Jews to go to Harsina, to Mount Sinai, and accept the Torah. It had to happen. Hashem needed to bring his people to Harsinai to accept the Torah. Otherwise, the world wouldn't have continued to exist. And we wouldn't have, Chas continued to exist. As it is, Rashi tells us, only one-fifth of the Jews left Egypt. Four-fifths couldn't get out of Gullus. There are other Mepharshim, other commentators, who say only one in 5,000 there's a medrash from Narai says only one in 5,000 left. It's pr incredible to contemplate. One in five is big enough number. I mean, it's, in, it's a holocaust. Four-fifths of Am Yisrael <clears throat> perished in, 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 in the mock of Chayshech, of dark, plague of darkness. Only one, and, and, and those one, that one-fifth already gave Moshe Rabbeinu so much trouble in the Midbar and gave Hashem so much trouble. But Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, Yad Chazaka, with a strong hand, and he pulled us out so we could accept the Torah. Now, if this is the paradigm for Gula Shalem, the coming of Mashiach, what does it mean? Today, we see a world that's falling apart. World culture is falling apart. World culture. <clears throat> this is not... Lahavdal Torah. The Torah never falls apart. The Torah is eternal. But the culture of the world is falling apart. And I'll be very specific. I mean, first of all, look at the U.S. I mean, we came from the U.S. We grew up there. I'm going to say straight out, the U.S. is falling apart. It's falling apart. Already, and the U.S. is represents the whole culture of Edom, of the whole Western world, the whole Church of Rome and everything associated with that whole culture materialism that came from Asav originally, and excuse me, and um, so the and culture of it's the culture in the U.S. that's falling apart. I'll explain. First of all, we've seen over the last few years a tremendous amount of um, um, of of um, controversy that's becoming more and more extreme, um, anger, division in especially, say, American society, sure. tremendous division. The last election made this very, very clear. Bitter, bitter division, um, civil unrest, and, and, and violence, and violence, and the dialogue that was once more civil between opposing political views is not civil anymore and at times it appears and i believe it's you know, the possibility of real 
anarchy and even civil war is not impossible to a person, a reasonable person looking at what's going on. It's not impossible. <clears throat> but I can be much more specific, and I think I should be specific. And these are the kind of things the book talks about which are not easy for people to listen to. But I think many people want very much to hear this because they, people feel this themselves. There's something very specific I want to talk about, and that's morality. You know, laws have been passed, not just now, it's increasing very much, but over the last years and decades, which question the basic moral structure of um, the way the world is created. Hashem created a world where the first mitzvah is Peru Uruvu. The world started with Adam and Eve. It started with a marriage. It started with husband and wife. That's how there's a family. That's how there's life. All our commentators tell you the whole a family means life. The world's going to be populated. Hashem created the world for marriage. The whole institution of marriage is under extreme pressure. And the current political climate in the United States exemplifies that, you know, in which laws are being passed which make marriage uh, optional is already a good word. Uh, um, uh, that other alternative lifestyles are supposedly equivalent to marriage or even superior to marriage. I want to bring out to all of us the very stark truth that at the time of the marble, our commentators tell us the flood in the days of Noah, that one of the prime causes of the flood was the reason Hashem destroyed the world was because the institution of marriage was brought into question that morality was corrupted by mankind in general, that the very basis on which Hashem created the world was rebelled against. And for this reason, Hashem, this is so basic, that apparently in the eyes of Hashem, it was... A, a basis for the actual destruction of the world during the time of the mob of the flood. And the only one who survived it was the family of, of Noah who were loyal to Hashem. And <clears throat> I want to say that I think this is one of the indications we're living in a very, very dangerous moment. Because a civilization, a culture that rebels to this extent against the Torah of Hashem is endangering itself, period. I mean, I don't see how, you know, it's just a very stark reality. And this is why I draw the comparison to Mitzrayim, to ancient Egypt. Now, there is a beautiful metaphor I'm not sure if it's mine or I saw it somewhere. Um, it may, it's very similar to a comment by the Be'er Miriam that I saw in the art scroll, um, in one of the art scroll Haggadahs. And it's a very beautiful thing, which I think is quite relevant to our discussion. It's a universal custom, I believe, during the Pesach Seder that when we come to the part of the Seder where we mention the ten makos, we dip our finger into the wine and take out a drop of wine from the wine cup, the kos. For, the plate, right? And put it on the plate ten times for each of the ten makos. If you look at your plate and you look at your kos, you will see the coast is just as full. It doesn't look like you took a thing out of the coast. You have 10 little spots of red on your plate, and you have, right? The, so the 
again, I'm not sure if it's me or the bear mirror where I got it from exactly or bottom line. This is a metaphor an, 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 an indication of the difference between Yitzias Mitzrayim and the Gula Shalema, meaning those 10 drops you took out are equivalent to our exodus from Egypt. What the wine that's left in the coast is equivalent to the final redemption, the Gula Shalema, meaning the order of magnitude. That is how much bigger the Gula Shalema is going to be Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim was the greatest event, up to, I guess, since Beratius, since the who is one of the greatest events, colossal in history. The whole world knew about it. The Jews were taken out of slavery in Egypt. When Mashiach comes, instead of one country, Egypt, it's going to be the whole world. And the Jews will be taken out of our slavery to the culture worldwide non-Jewish culture. And the uh, that event will be so huge that compared to Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, it's like these few drops compared to all that wine that remains in, in the coast. And in Mitzrayim, there was one king who fell, Paro. <clears throat> when Mashiach comes, hundreds, thousands of kings, presidents, prime ministers, whoever they are, dictators, everyone will fall. And, and, and Torah, the capital of the world will become Yerushalayim. Mashiach will be the king, and there'll be a different world. I think the reason there's so much resistance to the coming of Mashiach. The world is fighting it. You see it. When the world fights Am Yisrael, which all the world really does, they all fight against us, ever since the days of Avram Avinu, our father Abraham, it's because there is a tremendous push against the coming of Mashiach. Why? Because when Mashiach comes, that means Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad, that Hashem will be recognized as the ruler of the world. And that means, Torah, you can't just live the way you want anymore. You can't just murder, theft, and all the violence, all the things that go on today and that are condoned in the world today. It's not going to be like that anymore when, 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 when the era of Mashiach, the world's going to be a different world. And, and, and when, the, when, the, when the world is run from Yerushalayim, from the base of Mikdash. The Goyim, the world at large, does not want this because the world at large right now is run by, you know, people, what it says in, in the Shema, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, going, after a heart and eyes, whatever you want, grab it, money, food, whatever, your your desires, your lusts, that... That's what the way the world is going now. It won't be like that in the days of Mashiach. Um, and the world is fighting that with all its strength. This is what we're seeing today. But I, 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 this is what Hold On talks about. And I think we have to recognize that we're living in a dangerous world. We're living in a world where the culture the non-Jewish culture, which is so powerful, um, is crumbling before our eyes. We're seeing a similar phenomenon to what happened in Mitzrayim. It's gonna, the world of Mashiach is going to be beyond beautiful. And, and, but if we want to survive, we have to hold, hold on. That's, why, that's, that's the title. Right. Hold on. What to what? To Torah. That's it. This is not a theory. It's not a nice thing to do. This is survival. This is life. If we don't hold on, God forbid, I don't know what's going to happen. It, this is serious, serious stuff. So in a nutshell, that's really the answer And I, to your question about what's the essence of this book. 
And I think that um, that's why various publishers were not so happy to publish it. But Kolokavot to Mosaica Press, who had the courage to, you know, publish things which are not always so easy to hear. I'd like to point out also, hold on, a reason that it is, it's gotten very, very wonderful reception. We have heard from so many people that it gives them so much chizuk and inspiration. It's not just this message of, you know, look at what's happening in the world. It's a really serious situation. It's a message of of what we can do in order to strengthen ourselves and, and our loved ones and be able to hold on and get through it and solution, live to right? see the these wonderful, beautiful days of, of Mashiach that we, we, my husband goes into it in great detail of, for example, davening, the tshuva, tshuva, tzedakah, Torah, mitzvahs, masim tovim, this is all there is, this is what we hold on to, and he goes into great detail explaining how do we do this. Yes, the um, he has a whole chapter on the Shimon Esrei and what thoughts would be very helpful to, to have for each of the brachas to understand them and to have better kavana. And there's a very uh, well-known Rebetzin who actually called us and actually we got calls from many people and, and, and I've made actually quite a few Rebetzins <laughs> who said that they're that their davening has improved from this and that they really have been thinking about how can I improve my davening and, and really understand Shona Esri better and and have it more meaningful. And they said it just gave them so much chizuk and inspiration. We've heard this from really scholarly people. Now, my husband, of course, never went to yeshiva, but ever since the age of 31, he's been studying and learning, learning with all kinds of wonderful, so many wonderful chavrusas, uh, it started out with the Youngrez family. The son-in-law, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Grutzlin, was his first chavrusa. That was in 1974. And uh, in the years since, he's had so many wonderful chavrusas, and he still has. So he's a person who feels deeply. My husband is a person who feels deeply and thinks deeply. And so he he really gets to such um, fascinating and relevant insights about about all, uh, all the Torah studies and, and the Torah topics and all the topics he discusses. So, so so many people have gotten so much music and inspiration from this book because he's very practical about what can we do in order to hold on and survive and, and, and uh, you know, be, be able to uh, have such a, a beautiful, wonderful life. And, and uh, I'll give one, I want to give one more example of, of someone who... Uh, told us that that uh, this person had to go for a biopsy and was very extremely nervous about it. And what did he do? He took this book with him and he held on to the bio- this book for the whole biopsy. So we see And he that got a good report, by the way. He did get a good report. He did. He got a wonderful report. But But people are really, you know, holding on to Torah, holding on to this book <laughs> and, and seeing that this book is helping them so much. And this is what our life is all about, that we're, we want to reach out to people, help people, and have people have more chizuk, more inspiration. So whether it's our personal story or whether it's the books that are you know, have give insights on so many topics, that that's what we're here for. I, I just want to add, by the way, that we have, I have 14 haskamas on this book because... I mean, who am I? I mean, you know, I, but so I got a lot of very eminent rabbanim to give us comments. They really read it. So did you feel that it was more, like people accepted it uh, more because there were haskamas that it helped? I think so. I And I, I now think, I can think of many more people, many more rabbanim I really should have asked but okay, how many scumbags can people read? Yeah, anyway, okay, but pe- no, people are interested. I think people are interested in. I look for the books without scumbags. <laughs> you do, okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but I, I personally feel I need scumbags because I, I'm serious. Like you know, people could legitimately say, "Who is this guy?" You know. So I, I, I want to have 
I want to have eminent rabbis endorsing it. Okay, so I guess we'll we'll end with this. But Mrs. Newberger, when are you going to write a book? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh oh, okay. <laughs> so so uh, as you know, I, I'm, I'm the editor of everything. There is a book that we're both Someone writing asked us together. To write a book. So a publisher asked us to write a book together. Terrific. And uh, so we're that we're working on so it. So more now. your 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 involvement is more than just the editor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh you heard it here first. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and uh our pleasure. I, I hope this message brings Chizuk to people and practical you could read the book for of hold on and Get practical suggestions of, of how how to hold on and how to uh, stay strong. Thank you so Amen. much. Really, really a pleasure. I just say that that the books are all available. Uh, Feldheim Publishers distributes all my husband's books, and Mosaic Press also uh, distributes in the United States. Uh, you know, can go online for these things. Uh, the Hold On book website, too. and uh, we have a website that I think people would find extremely interesting. What is it? What is the website? It's called. 2020vision.co.il that's 2020vision.co.il and it has a lot on it my husband has a weekly video where he uh, talks about something that's relevant to the Pasha it's just a 10 minute video every week uh, through the website people could get it and also they could sign up for emails uh, and get it as an email uh, you can sign up through the website <coughs> And uh, it tells, uh, there's a lot on there. There are all these videos, like from different speaking trips. I don't think we mentioned this, that <coughs> ever since the books first came out, excuse me, <coughs> we've spoken in many different countries from the first book tour, and then, and then uh, we're invited by different organizations to speak with the former Soviet Union, for example, in Mexico, and Canada, and the United 15 States. Fifteen countries. <coughs> Yeah, Eastern Europe and all, all over, so many places uh, from uh, Baku. Uh, uh, we were we spoke in Tbilisi, in uh, in Georgia, and the, the book is actually translated into Georgian. The chief rabbi loved the book so much, the Central Park to Sinai in 2020, that he translated them into Georgian. That's not the state of Georgia. No, <laughs> the and, Republic of and, Georgia. Uh, well, whether it was Vienna or or Moscow, or we have. There's an amazing video that tells shows a lot about our tour in Moscow. It's called The Spiritual Journey Through the Former Soviet Union. It's a video that I think people would on enjoy. On the website. And on the website. There's some, all these videos and pictures and different things. So that's, uh, that's the story. <laughs>